The first reading is from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed are those who fill their quiver with them. They shall not be put to shame when speaking with their enemies in the gate. The word of the Lord. Invite us to stand for the reading of the gospel. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and, and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they'd done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astounded at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The Gospel of Christ. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. God, you know how short our time is. You know that we are dust and that without you, we come to nothing. God, I pray that you would give us good hope, that you would give us strength to get into the boat and follow you into the deep water. I pray that the words that would be spoken would be from you and that they would be exactly what we need for today. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you be seated, please? There's nothing more comfortable than security, which is really just kind of 
saying the same thing twice, but it's something that we all want. Security. A place to, if I can use a Texan phrase, hang our hat at the end of the day. Most of us spend our life working and with not very much time resting or enjoying the fruit of our labor. All around us, the world and the culture move at such a rapid pace that we feel pressured to work even harder every single day just to keep up. And we live and act as if everything depends on us. And all of that kind of falls apart on Ash Wednesday. Because despite our best efforts, we're reminded that we're going to die. We'll return to the dust of the ground. So why do we labor if in the end it just comes to nothing? What do we build our foundation on? And if it's not in the work of our hands, if we need something else for our security, then what is that? Our psalm tonight invites us to examine the relationship between our desire for security and the place that it's truly found. And it's important to establish some context here with our psalm because it has connections to wisdom literature. And we've heard a little bit about wisdom literature in the psalms in earlier sermon series. But what's important about this one is that signals this is it mentions that it's a, a song of Solomon And in the first verses, we get a reference to a house and a city, which is definitely a a reference point to the temple and Jerusalem. And wisdom literature has something to teach us about the things of life, even if it doesn't always have a one-one correlation. At the heart of our psalm is the quest for human security— And for the ancient writer, this is primarily found in working and having children and being anxious or watchful after the city. And we're not really that much different today. It just looks a little bit different. We still work. We still worry. And we may not build an actual wall around a city, but we do look to safeguard it in other ways. In the first verse of the psalm, it says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who labor, those who build it, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, when we think about this connection between the house and the temple, for Christians, this means the church. And in light of that, we're called to remain vigilant after it unless we find ourselves building up the church with our own effort. And if any of us have been Christians for any length of time, we know how easy this can creep in. We use our time, our talent, and treasure to ensure that the mission of the gospel continues. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we can also find ourselves relying on the things that we've put forward. We may secure the physical building, but still find that it's empty. We might develop programs of stewardship to raise money and secure endowments, but the needy in our neighbors might 
be left unnoticed. And we might even find ourselves really comfortable in what we know about the Christian faith. And we live as if we know the right things and and we're trudging along, but then we miss something that God has put right in front of us. Whether that's a suffering friend or a stranger in need of our time. In the wider world, we've seen two years of fighting tooth and nail to protect the status quo. And when we were faced with a global pandemic, we resorted to good old-fashioned know-how. We used our technology, we used our knowledge of of science to fight the disease and find new ways of, of working. And so we put our hope in the future into those places. And it's remarkable what this has accomplished. But there has been a cost. Lots of frontline workers and service industry workers also, they feel the brunt of this. As lots of online jobs have become available, they've found their jobs resisting that change. And even as we look to this source of knowledge that we have to help us fight the changes of of the times, we're bombarded with knowledge of all kinds. How to cure COVID with essential oils. Ten laws that would end discrimination. Thirty reasons you should or shouldn't be upset about Ukraine. And if you aren't in the know, then you're not contributing. You're not producing. Because if you just know the right thing, then you can put policy in place and fix it. You can solve any problem that comes your way with a tap on a screen. The psalmist talks about the ancient man building a house and working to keep society safe. Today we have first responders and home security systems. The psalmist speaks of God watching over the city to keep it safe. And today we have 24-hour news coverage, informed policymakers, and satellites. We know what's going on, and we can fix it. Or so we think. The flip side of this is in our next verse, which says, It's in vain that you rise up early and go to late rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Stay on the grind, we're told. Hustle harder. Phrases like this describe a culture that glorifies work without limits or boundaries. We're raised to be valued based on what we contribute and produce. All of this so that we can gather resources for ourselves and our families. Then hopefully, after we've given our best years working jobs that we hate, when our bodies are worn out, we will have enough put aside to enjoy a little bit of life. This is hustle culture. And when we finally get that moment of rest, we have need of medications and self-help books to get our minds to stop their hurried pace. 
When we retire, many of us struggle to find purpose and meaning after spending so much time devoted to our career and our work ethic. We work all day for bread, something eaten and then forgotten. The psalmist calls us to build our house on the work of God. And this is a totally different approach because God is eternal. And if it's just about our own effort and energy, then we're putting our security in ashes. And despite all of this, even if we plan, even if we know how to fix the problem, what happens when things fall apart? Our psalmist continues to drive home this notion of finding security, but just in a different direction as it continues in verses 3 through 5. And it says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Now, if you're hoping at this point that I will have a straightforward take on verses 3 through 5, I'm going to have to let you down. We might hear this psalm and feel a lot of things. And some of us may have even had these verses used against us. And you deserve better than that. I don't think the heart of this psalm is trying to address God's providence and children. Because in the ancient world, children were your retirement plan. You needed to have a lot of kids so that you could have someone to take care of you when you got older. You needed someone to work the land so that you had enough food for yourself. And this bit about being ashamed in the gate is talking about someone's children representing them and like the, the affairs of their state so that they're not taken advantage of. This is a connection with future, a security, an enduring of a, of a legacy. It meant prolonging your own life to have kids. And today we have things like health care and retirement plans and people who are responsible for us even if we don't have children of our own. And I'm not trying to dismiss anyone's desire for having children or even kind of erasing that they are a gift from God. I just think the psalm is carrying us in a different direction. Because underneath all of this, this notion of security, is our own capacity to trust in our knowledge and human effort. And even despite the advances that we've made, all of the achievements that we've built with our own hands, we still haven't managed to deliver ourselves entirely from things out of our control. We work and save money for our whole life, and then inflation causes our standard of living to go down. We work and live a good life only to get a diagnosis that leaves us broken and directionless. We may even follow Jesus and try to live according to what we know that looks like, and we still face anxiety and sickness or job loss. Our psalm shows us that we know how to guard and watch, but we don't know what's on the other side. 
And thankfully, we're not left there. Because when we encounter Jesus, we're invited to a different relationship with what we know and where we find our security. Encountering Jesus brings us to a deeper place where we consider God's purpose for our work and life. Tonight we heard the story of Simon Peter who's called to follow Jesus. And after a night of long working for nothing, Jesus tells them to put their nets down into the deep. And they protest. And that makes perfect sense because they know how to do their job and it hasn't worked out. Because when you're net fishing, you fish in the shallows, not in the deep. So not only is Jesus getting into the boat and telling them how to do their job, he's telling them how to do it completely wrong. They know what they're doing. When we've suffered in our walk with God, it really can feel like a slap in the face to be told to go out and try again, especially when we're called to go in a direction that makes no sense to us. When we pray all night long for that thing that is so dear to us and we have no answer, who does God think he is to call us out to try again? But Peter gets back into the boat. And he does try again. He does exactly what he'd been doing before in the hope that this time something would be different. And it was. Jesus made a way for Peter's effort to be fulfilled according to his own purpose. His own labor is transformed and moved into a different direction. Simon Peter, when he sees this catch of fish, he falls down saying, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. For he was amazed. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So they go out and they catch the fish and then they leave it. Their own achievement, their own knowledge of what this would mean, these fish, would have meant money in their pockets. It would have meant food. It would have meant security for their families. And they go and they follow Jesus. And their work is transformed. Suddenly it's not, well, you're going to catch fish that you're going to eat, and then the fish are done and spent. Now it's, you're going to fish for men something that endures. Because even making a difference in one person's life is a longer legacy than catching one fish and then eating it and then having nothing left at the end of the day. When we encounter Jesus, our quest for security in work or social change or worry about the future takes on a new meaning. When we meet Jesus, our relationship to work is transformed. No longer is our end goal security here, but it's to look at our own life and work in light of God's purpose for us. Suddenly, the extra things that we're able to acquire 
have the opportunity to be given for God's kingdom and sown into something that is everlasting. So what is God calling us to do where we are? Peter doesn't ask, he doesn't get asked to do something crazy or something he doesn't know how to do. He gets asked to do what he knows. So what is that thing for you? If you are working, how can your work be given over to God's purpose? If you're grieving, how can your grief be given over? If you're waiting, if you're resting, how can these things be given and transformed for the glory of God? I can't answer that question for you, but I do know that wherever you are, And whatever your lot in life is, God does have a purpose for you. All of your labor, all of your worry, all of your hopes for the future can be given to him. We're invited to press onward and out into the deep because Jesus calls us past our own effort, past what we know, and into a place where he alone can prosper the works of our hands. He alone can guard our city and give us rest. And in that place, we come face to face with the knowledge that we were built for more than catching fish. We're more than just labor. We exist for each other. We exist for the glory of God. And these things are eternal and unchanging. And in our ordinary daily life, God calls us and equips us. And every day we wake up and we go out and we hope that we will catch fish. Our psalm tells us about this relationship between our place and God's activity. Jesus invites us to move beyond that place and to allow our labor to be transformed in him. And when we do this, we can labor all day for bread and receive rest from God. We can work hard for God's glory and not our own fulfillment. We can take our own sorrow and frustration and worry and hold each other up along the way. Tonight, we're invited to see our place in the world as we're reminded that we are dust. And as we start Lent, we acknowledge that Jesus has called us into the boat, into a deep place. And we hope to reach the deep waters of Easter and pull in a catch of fish so large that our boats sink in the riches of God's love for us. I pray that God would give us the strength deeper than our desire for security to let go of what we know and get in the boat and go out into the deep and let our nets down and trust that in that God will make a way for us, that God will prosper our labor 
and that as we've put those things in his hand, that we will put our effort and security into something that is everlasting and unchanging. Amen. You've just listened to a podcast from Little Trinity Church in Toronto. Please check out our website at www.littletrinity.org to find out more about our ministries and services.